we would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we have journeyed across mountains, through the prairies, through the land of darkness and shadow, to deliver this episode to you. That's right, we are going to be talking about the- Mordor! No, not Mordor. We're no, not Mordor. enough about Lord of the Rings. That can be later what? when that TV series comes out. In the, in the Kroll! Next- We're talking about Kroll. Yeah, no, no, no. No, no not, until, not until July. Not until July. And apparently, <laughs> even your mom knows about Kroll. Which- uh, she took me to see Kroll, bro. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, so we're going to be talking about uh, Amazon's adaptation of The Will of Time. Specifically, mm-hmm. what would roughly be the first book. And we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about a little bit about the book, the series, some ideas and thoughts and differences. And more importantly, we have an expert about this. No, it's not Brandon Sanderson who finished the last three books. It's not someone that is, uh, you know, part of the Jordan family, but it is a fan that has read these books that knows them inside and out, has done his research and, you know, and it's Krebs brother. You know, that's right. It, it, it is. Hello, Matt. everyone. Yes. So, so to sum up what Dan said, basically, it's everything you didn't want. <laughs> was not <laughs> expecting. <laughs> no, no, no. It's everything they didn't knew, know they wanted. OK, so yes. this, is, this is my brother, Matthew. And I realize that sounds a tad nepotistic, but I want to give him just a moment to establish his Wheel of Time credentials. Matthew. Uh, have you read the series in its entirety? Yes. How many times? Um, I can't count that high. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I've read them several times. It gets difficult, though, because when a new book would come out, well, first thing is I started reading this before the series was complete, uh, well before Robert Jordan's untimely passing. Uh, and so I actually was caught in that situation where you'd read up to the end of the series and you'd have to wait another two years for the next book to come out. Uh, so I would go back when the next book was ready to come out and read back from the beginning. So I've read Eye of the World maybe 30, 40 times. Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Are you serious that many times? Are you serious? Um, pretty close. Yeah. I can think back to it. I didn't it even was know just, that. I would go back and, and do that. Sometimes I would, uh, sometimes it was audio books. Sometimes it was the actual book itself. Um, but you've seen my first yes. copy of Eye of the World, yes. which literally fell apart. Yes. And, and and you had to get me another one, right? Yes. Uh, absolutely Thank true. You, by the way. Hey, no problem. I love you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I. When did you first start reading the Wheel of Time books? Um, that would have been towards the end of 95, beginning in 96. So pretty early on in the series inception. It was only about halfway through. Because uh, didn't the first book drop in 91, 1990? You know, you might actually have a question that stumped me. Uh, uh, we'll can, verify. We'll look I that up. I can look that up. <laughs> but the point is, 95 is pretty early in the series uh, in terms of release. Okay, so you've read, I mean, you've read The Eye of the World uh almost as many times as I've seen Kroll. That's pretty good. Um, so, Eye of the World came out January 15th, 1990. 1990. Okay. All right. So if, if you started reading in 95, 
then that means you, you had a handful of the, of the 14 books that came. And I remember, I remember certain things. I remember you waiting for the next book. I remember you saying another one's coming. I remember you, you know, we got to like book 12 and you were super stoked. And then there were like two more to go. And I remember Robert Jordan passing and I wouldn't have taken note of it if it hadn't been for you and your fandom. And, and it doesn't really stop with the books either. There was something else. Uh, how else have you expressed your wheel of time fandomness, <laughs> fanaticism? Well, uh, ever, like, like a lot of us, I've been a fan of uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, from when I was, from, since I was a kid. So when they had the D20 system come out with a version of the wheel of time, uh, I had to jump right on that. And so I got the uh, Wheel of Time uh, D20 rule book, and uh, you were part of the party, and I got our friends together, and we would play uh, every weekend or every other weekend, and I actually started writing my own adventures in the world, and one of the things I loved to do was I would find minor scenes that still had some significance and I would tie the, and I worked that into the story so that our characters would get a chance to meet Lan fighting the dark hound in Ilion when Moraine is there and discovers that, you know, spoilers, Samael's running the city. Um, <laughs> but our, our characters got to participate in this off-screen battle Lan had with the dark hound. That's right. And I remember so that. Things like that I used to love to do. And uh, you did mention the completely botched run through the city that I had spent hours writing that you guys completely bypassed because of, uh, oh, Lord, what was his name? Uh, it, was, uh, it was it was Lord Ga uh, uh, Glavin. 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 Lord that's Glavin. right. So, you know, sometimes he was good at the wrong times and bad at the right times. It's so true. Uh, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen who've been listening to the show, when we gave our examples of like uh, being agile and being willing to flex with your players, uh, the story that I told of my genius brother throwing away about 14 pages of story, <laughs> that was it right there. You know, that was it. I feel your pain. I really <laughs> feel your pain. Every experienced GM. So, so we'll get into the, 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 the meat and potatoes of the, this episode, but I ran, so I am one of those GMs that when I know my group, I write out a story and I know every left, right move that they will possibly make. And my adventures that should maybe be, you know, 15 pages turn into like 40, 45, 50 pages. Says the published okay. author. Yeah, because it's like, okay, I know this guy's going to do this. And if he does this, these guys are going to go there and this guy's going to do this. So like I have all these branches so that I'm ready and I'm prepared. So I have this and, and I print it out and it looks like one of those, you know, module manuals. And I'm thinking, this is awesome. Totally awesome. We sit in, I tell the scene, the fight comes. They destroy the fight. I know the next step they're going to do. And they throw a complete left hook and go the opposite direction. And I'm looking at all this paper, all this time I put in for the last two <laughs> weeks. And I just have to throw it in the garbage can because they've gone. Yeah, they didn't go anywhere on script. So at that point, I just I learned to do bullet points <laughs> and not write everything. It's like, I just want these things to happen. I don't care how it happens. As long as we get there, we're awesome. Yeah, that's an important lesson. I think a lot of GMs have to learn at one point or another if they're going to continue, you know, yeah. without going insane. Yep. Yeah. 
So uh, speaking of bullet points and telling the story by beats, uh, the Wheel of Time series on Amazon Prime dropped this year, actually kind of suddenly. Uh, I remember it was supposed to come out on a certain day and then it came out like two days early. Uh, and we, that was when we got our first, in fact, they dropped the first two episodes, if I remember correctly. And then we had to wait for the next one on a weekly cycle. Uh, this was, I think it dropped originally in November. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, and, and I, at this point, it's two things need to be known and they're both Captain Obvious moments. Number one, folks at home, we are going to be discussing spoilers, spoilers <sighs> in the books, spoilers in the uh, show. We are going to be discussing spoilers. If you have not watched the show or read the books, maybe now is a good time to start doing one or the other. Pro tip, you'll get through the show faster. Uh, Captain Obvious moment number two, there has been a lot of controversy about this series. This is not very cut and dry. This is not like The Mandalorian where overwhelmingly fans accept it, love it, and uh, are thrilled at what they've done with uh, canon and and even canon rearrangement. Uh, this is not that. This is very much a, a very much a mixed bag of of everything. Uh, so much so that we needed a resident expert to help us discuss this. Which brings us back to you. And instead, you get me. <laughs> you know, hey, hey that's not a, that's not such a bad thing. I mean, several years back, you know. Krebs came on the show as an expert of Palladium, and now look where he is. <laughs> now I have my own podcast, you future rival. All right. So, <laughs> so uh, there's some, some really interesting things, um, and I really want to drop this in here. These are our opinions. This may not be your opinion, and that's okay. These are our thoughts, our opinions. I know we're three, we're three guys, you know. Um, I know there are things that will be brought up that may ruffle some feathers, but again, that's okay. It's our opinion. And if it doesn't match your opinion, that doesn't mean we hate you. doesn't mean you need to hate us. It's, and that's okay that your opinion is yeah. different. I, I want to lay that out because I know, uh, especially on social media and a lot of other platforms, if you don't agree, then you're the enemy. You're not the enemy in, in our eyes. No. And we hope that you don't see us as the enemy we just have differing opinions. And that's the wonderful thing about fandoms. You can still have differing opinions and it's going to be okay. It's not like um, in the movies where you, you have the Star Trek fans, you have the, the Star Wars fans, and we have to do <laughs> it out because we don't like your live long and prosper because you know, you're a scruffy looking nerf herder. We can coexist. We truly can. My father is, the, is a hardcore Star Trek fan and i can't stand that but i still love him and we can coexist he can show up in his his white starfleet uniform and i will gladly hold my uh my lightsaber and we'll talk about geek stuff and and i hope after this show you guys feel the same way because it's okay absolutely thank you that was that was a great preamble thank you all right so um i'm i have so many questions i have so many questions and we got to fit it into just under an hour so here we go first before we get in deep let's start bird's eye view and let's start drilling down overall overall what did you think of the series as an adaptation of the wheel of time book sequence 
You know, for me, I, um, in general, I, I think it was more positive than it was negative. I enjoyed seeing this finally make it to the screen. Uh, when you understand some of the context and decisions that Amazon, why Amazon made some of the decisions that they did, it excuses some of the things that people may otherwise criticize. If the choice is we don't get it at all, or we had to cut this corner to make this happen, then it's like, okay, I'll give you that, you know? And so there's, there's several things like that. Um, for, can I get, can I give one detail? Yeah, yeah, uh, we, we will like, be drilling down into this deeper, but yeah, go ahead and give us an example. Loyal. One loyal. of the big things is loyal, okay? People want to see an eight-foot-tall, shaggy-haired, flat-nosed, ears that twitch and wiggle and express his moods, um, and that talks about books, that talks very slow, that keeps calling humans hasty, that doesn't know when to shut up. And instead, they get a large but human-sized person with no ears that talks about books, calls humans hasty, yeah. and doesn't know when to shut up. So give it, and, and Rafe Judkins, the showrunner, explained this one pretty clearly. He's like, we would have had to do a fully CG character and we could either spend money on that one thing or the effects budget on the whole thing. And given that choice, you know, in, until we saw the actor in the, his place, it was, it was kind of a toss up, right? And then he shows up and it's like, okay, I think that actor got Loyal's character even if he wasn't as big as we would have expected him to be, that's the kind of decision that, okay, we can compromise on that because it gets this to the screen. Meanwhile, Peter Jackson and anyone who worked on Harry Potter is off to the side going, we just made giants. And like, we don't, <laughs> I mean, if, if yeah. you look, if you look at how they did Hagrid, if you look at how they did, um, you know, uh, Aragorn and Legolas versus Elijah Wood, and the other uh, hobbits, there are ways to make exaggerated size. There are ways to play with force perspective. But I definitely hear that like that works when you're on a major cinema production schedule and budget. But uh, the Wheel of Time series was plagued by budget and time and uh, plague the constraints, plague. the plague. <laughs> um, they, they were trying to do something extremely ambitious just as the world was turning to nonsense, right? So, so that that all that we didn't take that onto account. Totally understand that. Okay, cool. So, you think that it has more positives than negatives? Um, I think I want to end on the positives because that always makes me feel like we're in a better place. So, I want to start by kicking the crap out of this thing. Don't and I get a voice here? What the heck? Do you get a voice? I don't know. Don't you run the show? Yes, go ahead. I'm sorry, Daniel. Go ahead. <laughs> no, uh, it, it's okay. You know, I, I will agree. For it, it definitely has a lot more positives than negatives. It is a good story. If you are not, you know, if you haven't read the, the books, this is a good introduction to it. You know, something that I said before the show, this is just a different retelling. Another Gleeman is telling the same story and he, he is presenting that to a new audience. That's how I kind of see this. Are there some things in it that kind of detract from the story that kind of feel like they've been forced in there? Yes. But for the majority of it, some of these changes, you know, are okay. You know, do they, did they have a huge budget? Did they have some problems? Yes, probably so. But they still got it out. It's still a decent interpretation of it. Is it what every fan wants? No. 
I don't think we'll ever get that from a book to a TV or movie adaptation. It's just not possible. And I think it's because we have a different Gleeman telling the story. You know, I totally agree. Um, with with this, I'm really curious. I, I kind of wish we had a non-book reader, somebody who'd only seen the shows and hadn't read the books uh, on with us today. Uh, because there's going to be two different experiences. The people that have never read the books and see this as a cool fantasy series are going to have one experience. And I think that was the, the jeopardy that Amazon found itself in is they've got to write this thing for a very rabid beloved fandom and for also a new audience that hasn't read the books but this show may introduce them to the books and so how do you tell a story that appeals to both audiences i i agree there was no way you could actually do this that would please everyone in the fandom and so that's well, why i think you had to get to the point where you, if you got more good than bad i call that a win well, I mean, just look at Disney and what, you know, they, they bought Star Wars and jumped into that. I don't think they realized the fan base and how rabid they could be, honestly, because, I mean, we, you know, with the, the prequel trilogy and some of these other movies, they really got blasted. And then, you know, and they're just like, what do we do? And then John Favreau and Dave Filoni come along with The Mandalorian and everyone's like, this is exactly what we've always wanted. Um now, could we have gotten that? Maybe, but we would have had to have found a, a couple of directors and stuff like that that really were fans of this book series. And that may have been a lot more difficult to find than like star fans of Star Wars. You know, I find it interesting that you both view the show as having more positives than negatives. I am, I'm over here thinking, uh, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not entirely sure that I agree that there are more positives than negatives. And so I'm kind of looking forward to having my mind changed on that, much like when we had the Filoni insights and that helped me find new sort of like revived value in the prequels. Um, with this series, there were, th I had very much the same mindset as you, Daniel, where I was after the first episode, after the second episode, I had to tell myself consciously that this is the same story told a different way. That's what I, and that's what I used to try to enjoy the show because otherwise I would end up in that really easy toxic trap of that's not how it is in the book. That's not how they did this. That's not how they, you know, and I was, and I still did that to a fair amount, but I tried to hold back because I wanted to enjoy, I wanted to enjoy the series. And quite frankly, I'm kind of middle of the road. Yeah. What you're talking about is themes and continuity. Uh, to go back to the Star Wars analogy, um, the Mandalorian captures the theme and the feel and yeah. everything in it maintains the continuity of the original trilogy. You get to the prequel and you have to retcon a few things to make those things work. And there was a much different, it changed how Star Wars felt. And I think that was um, the cause of a lot of the heartburn of some of the fandom. And so when you get, when you get to an adaptation, maintaining the theme of the story is really, really important. And, um, that's one of the things I want to kind of get into later, perhaps later on in the, uh, in, in the broadcast. Well, I mean, one of the things, okay. When you're writing a book, you're in a perspective. I mean, through the majority of the book, it's Rand's it's Rand is the point of view you're really kind of focusing on. He is the main character. With the TV series, they shifted from that. It's Moraine that's now 
the main yeah. character. And yeah. I think that has really affected a lot of people because it's like, and, and I get that, you know, that's like, you know, you know, here we go, you know, we have, we, we go to Tatooine and we're now go looking at this story from Obi-Wan's perspective. We've, we've watched it over and over and over and over again. It's always been Luke. And now suddenly that we're being told, nope, we're, we're, we're looking at this from Obi-Wan. You know, it's going to, it's going to skew a, a few things, you know, especially when he dies. Now what? Um, <laughs> you know, so I think that kind of a, has unsettled some people, you know, and then not only that, there's some changes, some really drastic changes that were made um, that I know Matt wants to talk about. And th that would be the dragon you know, who the dragon is. And, and I get that we're trying to be a little bit more PC. We're trying to be a little bit more open by changing that, that fact. But I think that kind of takes away from the story. That's an element that, that that's, that's one piece. It's now where we shift to Moraine's thing. I don't think that's a big thing, but now the dragon thing, I think that is because pretty much because, you know, traditionally the dragon has been a male and the last one really screwed things up. It's kind of changed society. So women are now more predominant. They're now the ones in charge because of this failure on this, this man's part. But when you change that, it kind of takes away from that. So why are women in charge again? Again, nothing against women being in charge. I don't want you know, our female viewers like calling in, calling for our heads. But that's what kind of set up the government and, and a lot of these, these structures. And now suddenly you're kind of neutering that. And so that one really, that is one of these pieces that starts to unsettle this story where you're kind of like, man, I, I, I'm not really jiving with this. And you're kind of like, yeah, it's, it's another telling. It's another telling. Yeah. You know, I, I'm glad that you brought that up. We're actually going to get into several of these points. So Matthew, so, so we've talked about like how we generally feel about the series now start taking us deeper. Tell us about the things again, uh, again, I want to focus on the constructive criticisms first. And then we're going to start, then we'll talk about the things that we like about the show. But let's start with like, what was, what was kind of surprising to you in a bad way? Or what was off-putting to you? Tell us some of the things that you realized while watching this show. Well, you know, the, the biggest thing is kind of what uh, Daniel was, uh, was introducing right there. Um, for me, when you get an adaptation, it is a different gleam and telling story. I absolutely agree with that. But it's the same story. The protagonists have to reach the same destination at the end. How they get there may change. Yeah. But some of the unforgivable sins of adaptations is where you keep the names but completely change the story. Okay. So uh, whose line is it anyways? <laughs> <laughs> where the names are made up and the story doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, or other times you keep the story, but you've completely changed the characters. The, the, the characters are what people love in the story and when you change their personality when you change their motivations till they're the opposite of who they were in the original medium people don't like that elite fans of the original medium will immediately rebel yeah. and then there's the other situation where you've got visual media like this where and i kind of write this up to the um the bitter writer where he had a script that he couldn't sell but he got hired to rewrite a script of a 
good adaptation that did sell. And so he tries to stick his movie or her movie into this other script and completely ruins the story. And that's kind of what, and, and this got very close to that line because mm-hmm. that's where you start destroying the theme. And that just sounds like the last Jedi to me, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, well, you may not be wrong. Um, no, I mean, that, that really is it. You know, uh, we have this fantastic character, this hero that we see, Luke, and then he gets turned into this curmudgeon. You know, and you're kind of hitting on that point where when you defile the character to so much to the point where it's not the same, it really fans struggle with that. So so in the Karayathon cycle and Prophecies of the Dragon, the dragon was male. It was important that he be male because in this whole world of the Wheel of Time, male and female are distinct and different. Gender politics is a crucial piece of the theme of the wheel of time and this is why it is not a question of one being superior to the other Mm -hmm. his point is one cannot succeed without the other the whole symbol of the wheel of time is a modified yin yang yep the you got the uh white teardrop and you got the black fang Mm -hmm. okay and the thing is that separately these each have a lot of power. They can do a lot of things. Um, the one power, the power through which the entire unit, the world was created, um, is divided into two halves: male half Sidene, female half Sidar. But the greatest works ever done in that world were when men and women work together. And if you follow the storylines of the different characters in the stories, you'll see men behaving in somewhat foolish fashion and you'll see women behaving in somewhat foolish fashion and when they finally get past their pride and start working together things happen good things happen Uh, the success of the story and the success of the battles always come from the two sides cooperating so the the it's, it's not a sin to say male is male and female is female it is an important part of this story now that's the thing that i really liked about the series because it's it's teaching in my mind, when I read this, you know, when I was younger, it was like, wow, look at this. You know, men and women are coming together and they're achieving amazing miracles. I mean, they're, they're, they're making things happen when they're in, when they're not together, things are not going well, you know, and, and that's life really. I mean, uh, it, and I think that was kind of the lesson here is, Hey, if we came together, both men and women got rid of all this sexist, unequality and stuff and came together as equals we can make things happen and and i really liked that when i was growing up and i think by changing that like you said there is that we went from okay we could achieve balance and equality together and now you just threw that off yeah it's messed that yin yang up you want to talk about you know gender equality you've got nations that are run by women and a matriarchy in the world of the wheel of time and yep. you have nations or political powers that are run by males yep and I'm in sure both cases you've got some sexism on the part of the men and you have sexism on the part of the women they're both equally shown to be somewhat myopic their their opinions and their biases whether they're male or female interfere with their ability to accomplish their objectives and only when those go away when people are able to see past their pride and work with a nation a race a gender um whatever that they had previously considered inferior 
does the sight of the light start to defeat the sight of the dark? And that's, you know, that's one of the themes. And there's another major theme that, that Robert Jordan says was the seed that started this whole thing. And we'll talk about that later. But the male-female part of this is, in my opinion, an integral part of the story. And by diluting that and saying that male is the same as female, you're, you're destroying the point of the Wheel of Time. Now, that, and that's a very valid point, by the way. Um, now, you, you pointed out that, you know, the best things happen when men and women come together, work in, within equality, uh, two different words there, kids. Um, when they work together equally, that's when the wonders of the world occur. That's when defeating the dark one happens. But you also said that the dragon being male is important, but you didn't explain why. Sure, sure. Um, all right. So first of all, the wheel of time is things are cyclical. These souls get reborn. Your soul is tied to which side of the one power you can channel if you're born with that ability. Male souls channel Sidene. Female souls channel Sidar. We have one instance where a male soul is put into a female body and she still channels Saeedine, the male half. So it's tied to the soul. This thing needs to be reborn. And it was, and also it's interesting that the entity which warps reality and fights against the creator is the only one who we have seen an instance of that cross-body transmigration. But um, the order of the world is, you know, these men and these women, they each have to they each have access to their to their own side. So with the dragon being male, as Dan mentioned during the you know last the war of the the shadow, when they finally succeeded in trapping the dark one back in his prison, it was only men. And we see this, I think, in episode uh, I want to say seven. I think it was. Uh, was a conversation between Luz Theron and Latra Posai. Uh, where she's the leader in the of old the, tongue too. In the old yeah. tongue, I, I actually love that that scene, uh, where she makes her pact with the other women, and they promise not to help him because they think it's too risky. And this is another big unanswered question: Would the outcome have been different if you had men and women working together? But because they didn't, the men went loose there and in his 100 companions, 100 most powerful male channelers, and they sealed the hole that had been made in the Dark One's prison. At the last moment, the Dark One's counter strike was he reached out with his corruption and he touched the male half of the power which was being used to hold him in place as such that corruption tainted the male half and because of that taint everybody who channels the male half of the power goes mad and we see that in this series they actually did a pretty interesting job of showing how the madness takes people one thing i loved about that was that for these male channelers their madness was their reality they didn't know they were crazy and a lot of times the viewers didn't know until later <laughs> on when these voices they hear or these people they see aren't really there and I thought that was that was that was really well done. That was a good thing that they had done. So anyway, this is why it's important for the dragon to be male. And one of the criticisms I have of the series is the purpose of the red Aja. Yes. They yeah. state right there that are their job is to track down false dragons. Side note, they never mentioned there could possibly be a true dragon. Every dragon is false in their mind. But 
if the problem with the dragon coming back is that his madness caused the breaking of the world, then if you have a dragon who is female and is not destined to go mad, what's the problem? Right. In fact, it's an excellent opportunity for these Aes Sedai who pull the strings on the kings and queens of the world to instead help this female dragon along, control her, and help her, quote-unquote, to magically fulfill these prophecies. And now you have this person that could unite the whole world. And, you know, there's there, there's a lot of things you could do with that. So why – but the Red Aja is going after all dragons. But, again, without it being a male dragon – their stated purpose no longer makes sense. You took something that Robert Jordan had set up in his world, and you have now, by tinkering with that theme, created uh, a major plot hole and a problem. You can explain it away, but the fact that the Red Aja is chasing down men to save the world because these crazy men are going to destroy the world, the planet, that makes even their draconian actions that they take there's some virtue to it. There is, you can see why some people would be attracted to that Aja and that purpose. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's exactly it. The, the part of this that really I'm, I'm struggling with because the purpose for that group is, is broken now because you're right. Their whole purpose is to destroy false dragons, which are men because they believe they're false dragons because they go crazy. They're going to destroy the world. But if one shows up as a woman, then what's the point now? But they're a false dragon. You should kill them. But there wouldn't be faults because they wouldn't have the taint. So that's that is part of the story that they're gonna. And I know they're they they don't have to deal with that because we you know Rand is the dragon. So that's the whole big story. And if you don't know that, folks, sorry, you should have listened to Krebs earlier on and gone and watched <laughs> it or read the book. Um, but really. Uh, and they didn't need to, to change that. They really didn't. You know, is it a huge deal? I think they could probably just move on and we could be okay. But it does really kind of put a giant plot hole on things. Um, and it kind of breaks the world. <laughs> the other thing, you know, and maybe that's where you're going, Krebs, is you're going to move on. What they do with Moraine's character really messes things up for later on in future seasons definitely with future books there's one scene in particular uh, uh, you know we're doing spoilers so go ahead well there's one scene in particular where and and i hate this scene with a passion i'm with you um and and i'm sorry for those that that enjoyed it Uh, let's Um, be clear the reason and i and i feel okay talking about the i feel okay saying this because i've talked to daniel about this before yeah we hate the scene because of what it does to the story yes. and for no other political reasons. Yeah. It, you know, it, 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 this does not further the story. It, I feel like it was shoved in there for the sake of shoving it in there. And that's where we see Moraine in a secret place. Uh, oh, uh, my brain is blanking on who the person is. Uh, it's Swan Sanche. Swan Sanche. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and sh- they kiss. And now there's this, this it seems like there's this secret love affair between the two of them. Yeah. For the record, they do more than kiss, just not on camera, (laughs) but yeah. But this really affects future story because there are some major relationships that Moraine has with a man later on that affect things and, and vice versa as well. Yeah. And so it's like, I feel like 
this didn't need to be in the story. Yeah. They still could have had a secret conversation. They still could have reached the same effect without making that scene what it is. And again, for those that feel like, oh, yes, we have one more scene for us, you know, uh, in the LGBTQ uh-huh. world, you know, this is nothing against those people. Um, it's mainly because this so drastically affects the story and changes thing. And I felt like it was forced. We could have had a totally different character that we could have put in there or another series of characters that didn't have these primary goals that it would have been fine. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I felt the same way too, uh, where the, um, <clears throat> I, I realize as I think through this, that just because Moraine and Swan have this rather, I mean, I mean, they established that it's a fairly long lasting, extremely secret romantic relationship with each other, uh, that it's not just a roll in the hay for the sake of it, that this is like a real relationship. Uh, I realized this, that this does not preclude either women having a meaningful romantic relationship with a man, but I also acknowledge that the way that they've established this it makes that harder to believe, harder to accept, and it makes it harder to actually make happen. And to your point, in the books later down the line, both Moraine and Swan have incredibly important uh, relationships with men that further the story. And I realize we already said this earlier, this is the same story told by a different Gleeman. And so they're yeah. telling the same story a different way. But this goes back to what Matthew was saying, which is now you're changing the core of, of the characters, you're changing who the characters are. Something that Matthew, I, I, I wanted to add to your list of sins is when you alter the virtues of a character. And I'm not saying that Moraine and Swan aren't virtuous, but I am looking at Rand and Egwene, who in the very first episode, run off after she's been made a you know after she's been declared a woman by the women's council they run off and they obviously have a role in the hay and it's apparent it's not the first time that's happened but some of the best parts of the stories are the tension between these characters because they're so young and they would not cross those lines there's a certain virtue that's there that they have now removed from those characters, which removes a, a portion of their innocence in all of this. And I really despised that move. Daniel. Well, and I want, I want to jump in before we hand it over to, to Matt. I think the problem here is these characters are a lot older in the TV series than they are in the book. So of course, now that they're older, that's probably going to be a little bit more acceptable or natural because of their age compared to when they were younger because when they were younger yeah there's still that tension because there's that awkwardness and they're not quite to these let me it, it to at least to me i feel like they're somewhere between 18 and 20 in the tv series um where in the book they're much younger i would probably say 15 maybe bordering 16 um so i think that kind of offsets that and, but you're right that kind of loses something in the story but is it Something that completely detracts, I don't think so, but it is an annoyance. You know, I, I look at these things where, where things are added in or significant changes are made, and I ask, how does this serve the story? Yeah. Does it propel it forward? Does it give it some depth? And that scene with, with Swan and, and Warren, 
I, I it just feels shoved in. They needed to have a secret conversation. They needed to make the arrangements for her to get exiled. All of that makes perfect sense. Um, even you know, and there's some theories that where they met was Teleron Riyadh, the world of dreams. That that was how they were able to do it. That would have been interesting to delve into yes. that and what yeah. all that means. You know, that's world building. But this relate whether or not, you know, they you know, rub nasties, uh, was, <laughs> does not affect the story yeah. one way or the other. And so by, div by leaving or diverging from, you know, the original story material to put this in there, this is, and there's a few places in the series where something was gratuitous. Now there can be things that are added that are necessary for the story, whether mm. they are lascivious or not, or whatever adjective you want to stick to it. But when it doesn't serve the story, here's one. Here's one of the things that Wheel of Time had. Here's a prejudice Wheel of Time had to face before they became a series. There was a vacuum left by Game of Thrones, mm. and everything that touched on fantasy since then has been trying to declare itself the new Game of Thrones. Now, thankfully from all reports, Rafe Judkins did not want this to be the next Game of Thrones, but they, he wasn't the only person making decisions, and there's a lot of people that, that did want it to go that way. And Game of Thrones is famous for its violence and its sex. Yeah, right? that's true. Now, the difference there is that the way George R.R. R. Martin wrote that was that a lot of those things were essential to the story. And they were, they were part, already in the books. They are very much in the books. It was important to the theme, and it did propel the story. Excuse me, propel the story forward. And so, in those things, even when it gets pretty graphic, it's not necessarily gratuitous. But getting back to Wheel of Time, yeah, there was this. There were a few other scenes um, that I thought were were gratuitous or the same thing could have been accomplished in another way. And if your big challenge with the Wheel of Time is taking this lesser known fantasy property, IP, and exposing it to a broader audience, you'd think you'd want to make, it's like the difference when a, when a movie maker decides between a PG-13 and an R. You're going to get more people with a PG-13. Yeah. They could have done some things with this to get it, bring in a larger audience without sacrificing the story. And I think they, they, they missed that in, in this particular scene. So, you know what, to kind of, to kind of wrap up this branch of the discussion so we can get onto the things that we do like about the show. Um, I would like to just go really quick, really fast, and let's list the top two or three things that we disliked the most about this series. I will go first. Uh, we already we already touched on it, so I'm going to hit the low-hanging fruit. The moraine swan sanche relationship was shoehorned in as, a, as an emotional manipulation of the audience that was completely unnecessary and did not further the story. Uh, the very casual sexual relationship between some of the Eamon's fielders also shoehorned in and didn't really further the story. To your point, Matthew, they could have, as they did in the books so brilliantly, they could have shown how much Egwene meant to Rand without them having to go into the back and roll in the hay. And uh, third, some of the graphical representations, like the, the CG of the Trollocs ended up coming up real sl like slipshod and kind of poor, in my opinion. Uh, Daniel, what are the three things that you despised the most about the series? 
Well, I mean, I've, I, I, I think I've already kind of hit on two of those, um, you know, I mean, as far, I, I think those are the big two critical ones for me. Um, I do think the, the mental illness uh, effect they saw in the, they showed in the taint uh, with the false dragon, I think was fantastic. You know, you saw the, the figures speaking to him. Um, and I think it was really well done with, you know, because, you know, you have to wonder someone that's struggling with uh, multiple personalities or other mm -hmm. different type of mental illnesses, if it's very similar to that way. So I, I really like the portrayal of that. Um, but what but what didn't you like though what are the three things, things you didn't like? I, again i didn't like was the fact that they changed the dragon that scene because i really felt like it took away and what do you mean by they changed the dragon well where they changed it so it's not just male well okay yeah so 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 they opened it up to both male yeah. and female i can yeah. also agree with that because i think it damages the story yes i think it damages the story and it creates a giant plot hole that was never there and was unnecessary because later they declare ran the dragon like they are supposed to. Yeah. And yeah. Um, you know, and then the one thing that I'm not a huge fan of is I feel like there's some things that they, they have admitted. Yeah, again, I know it's a reinterpretation, but there's some key components I feel like were left out that may be important when they come around to the second book or the next season. Um, and then there were some things that they tied in from the the other, you know, the second and third book that kind of, I, I don't know if I, I, I like them yet, but, you know, I don't know. If you're not sure, let's let Matthew talk no, about okay. his. Okay, go it's ahead. My, I, I know I'm rambling here, but my no, no, mind okay. finally connecting here. Um and I didn't realize it was such an annoyance until now. Perrin, uh, having a wife mm. didn't exist, <laughs> at, which is really affecting him, you know, as a character. And, and I get they wanted to change something up, but like, because in, in the, the series, he accidentally kills her. They're in the, the heat of battle. She touches him. He swings around, acts to the gut. She dies. I can understand how that would mess someone up, but that didn't exist in the book. It's completely contrived. And it, it is. It's contrived. And again, something else that feels like it was forced in there to create something that didn't need to be there. Um, the other things are just minor, but that definitely would be my number three. Matthew, what are three things that you did not like about the series? Well, I'm going to go in uh, ascending order from um, least bad to most bad. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so number three would be uh, the loss of Barney Harris, the actor who played Matt Coffin. Oh. Um, there was a break they had to take because of COVID, and he wasn't able to come back for season for episode seven and eight. And that's why that very awkward farewell at the end of episode six occurred and why seven and eight seemed disjointed because they had to frantically rewrite the script to cover his story beats with some other character. He was great as Matt Cawthon. He was a great his man. Loss, I, I really felt. Uh, number two for me would be the red herrings of the dragon reborn. All right, fine. Let's say you've got five candidates for the dragon reborn. They tried, they made an attempt to show how each one could possibly meet this description that Moraine gives in the first episode of who the dragon reborn could be, except for Rand. 
they really give just a couple of things and people who already knew it was Rand were jumping up down going, that's it, that's it. That's when he channeled the one power. But those who didn't, I'm like, what what clues did you drop along the way to let you to let the people know who was who? And, you know, with Perrin, there really was kind of some weak stuff, the golden eyes and the wolves. But does that make him the dragon reborn? Anyway, the way they handled that was really ham fisted. The great potential. I think they missed the opportunity there uh, when they finally revealed that Rand is the dragon reborn. It was kind of like a Sherlock Holmes mystery where they withheld the critical clue until the very end when he's telling you what happened. That's not a fun mystery. I need to see the clue. So when you tell me the solution, I can go back and go, oh, I should have figured that out. They didn't do that here. The number one uh, egregious thing was the ending. Specifically the last, oh, 10 minutes of the last episode. Rand is facing off against the Dark One's proxy. It's the proxy. And uh, this gr big, great battle that the whole season has been building up to. And Rand holds up his little magic item, and puffs the Dark One away. Yeah. <laughs> Me meanwhile, it's the women who are all linked together that are destroying this huge Trolloc army. Now, in the books, and even Robert Jordan admitted that he wished he could have done that ending better. He wasn't sure how where the story was going to go at that point, um, and he would have made some significant changes. But one of the things that was important is we've built up the dragon as this incredible channeler. Loghain's power, which is huge, is a candle as to the brightness of the sun, Moraine says in the series. So when the dragon comes into his power, the dark one puffs away. How awesome would it have been if they'd stuck to what the books did, setting aside 21st century gender politics, and had Rand appear on the battlefield with his Sangreal full of Sidene, and I oh my gosh. won't even get into why that bugs me, uh, but he brings this thing there, and we saw in the first episode, Moraine, a single channeler, take on an army of Trollocs, and yeah. it was amazingly effective. It was awesome. Now you have the Dragon Reborn facing a horde of Trollocs. Wouldn't there be some symmetry there? Wouldn't that be a yeah. great callback? That's storytelling, where Rand, on his own, comes through and, like the brightness of the sun, obliterates this army. Now, the fact that he was male or female shouldn't have made a difference because the story would have been fantastic. But they took this person that they said was supposed to be strong and they gave him a meh climax and they gave this big important part of the story to this other group. Uh, and it was really kind of questionable whether they should have the ability with Amalisa being a very weak channeler, the other two just being some random female channelers that weren't powerful enough to have been kept by the tower and then Aguina and Nanae who are really strong but, but they untrained but untrained yeah. and and so it doesn't yeah. really make sense again it's a continuity error and you're you're drastically sliding the power scale here and I feel that could damage the the, the story and the point you missed a fantastic punch in that climax and that that scene just felt awkward it didn't feel natural, um, and, and I get what they were trying to do, but it just it felt awkward and weird. And then you know, everyone's eyes burned out; they dropped dead. And then, and then suddenly she heals her. Like, what the heck? I mean, yeah, 
it was so weird, such a weird scene to me. Yeah, uh, you know, culminating at the at the like throughout all the items in my list of things I didn't like about this was how they chose to tell the story. If you if you imagine in your mind all the books and their threads and their plot points, if you take all those books and you line them up as if on a bookshelf, and then you shot a lightning bolt, a tiny lightning thread from the first book, snaking its way jaggedly all the way through to like book eight. That was kind of like what they covered in the first season. Again, like you said, Daniel, it's like, well, it's kind of like the first book. It's not really the first book. It's actually a lot of books. Um, and they, 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 with the storytelling aspect, they were in such a rush to do so many cool things. They didn't stop to think, does this actually strengthen the story or am I undermining it by doing things too fast with not enough exposition and not enough demonstration, and not enough throwbacks, like the good storytelling aspects, the beats, instead of hitting the beats, they rushed the tempo and they dashed to the finish line. And it's completely awkward that way. You know what, guys, this has been a super great conversation. I've really enjoyed it, but I realize how long we're getting in the episode uh, what do you guys think about doing a part two where we talk about all the good stuff? Because there's there's a lot of good stuff. There is. There definitely is. I mean, I know we've kind of been talking about the negative stuff, but like, you know, b- both Matt and I said in the beginning, uh, this does have a lot of positive. It is a good series, despite the negatives we've spoken of. And I would really like to... Just like with the Filoni Insights, I want to find more value in this series than I have. I didn't hate the series, but man, I I really left disappointed. So I'm hoping that maybe the positives that you guys saw will help to, uh, you know, add perspective and help me to enjoy the series more. Well, and this is what I, I think the problem ultimately lies in uh, really before we, we close out is, you know, when you sit down and you've been told a story by your favorite storyteller, you're invested. You love that story. You know, you've gone on multiple runs down these road with these characters. I mean, I mean, Matt's clearly gone so many times. He's worn out the first book. I have yet to do that. But those characters have become loved and cherished. And this story is that, you know, it's like retelling, you know, retelling the story, your, your grandfather's favorite story. You know, you love it so much. And then some guy, you know, moves in and he tells the same story and it's completely different you know it's the same story but you know uh, uncle bob didn't catch the fish it was you know aunt terry that caught the fish you know and then you know and then the boy scout troop that came over and was super excited because it was a 12 foot long mackerel no it was it was a 40 foot mackerel and it was a, a troop of girl scouts that came and then they kicked aunt terry in the shin and stole the fish you know it's kind of things like that and it's like, well, wait a minute. No, I, I can't enjoy this, 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 this thing. But it's still, it's still a funny story. I really enjoy this, but it's not the same. And I think that's where we're kind of running into is we're we're seeing the same story, but it's just not the beloved story we're used to. And so it's coming off a little bit heart more. It's coming becoming a little bit more difficult for us to accept. Now. We could have Alton on the show that hasn't read the books, and he would probably come in and say, wow, I really enjoyed this series. It was pretty good, and this is why. And we would go, wow, I didn't think about that one, or, you know, because just how Alton is. 
um, <laughs> which it would be fantastic if he could join us on, on the positive. I'm, I'm really hopeful that he can. But if he can't, that's okay. It's still good. And we can still come up with things and have a fantastic discussion. So I know I'm pushing the limit here, but listeners, uh, we do appreciate you spending the time going through this with you again. If you don't agree with our opinions, that's okay. We'd love to hear your opinions. I think that would be fantastic if some of you would actually write us. Send us an email at info at dungeoncrawlersradio.com. Give us your thoughts and opinions, and we'll maybe we'll read a few of those. I I would love to hear how you how this series affected you, what your thoughts were. Um, I think Krebs would agree. Uh, Absolutely. That, that would be fantastic because you know, maybe. That scene that we're struggling with did something for you. You know, I know it take for us, it takes away from the scene, but maybe it did something for you. Uh, you know, maybe w- some of the thing, the points we brought up, you have a different insight that we haven't seen or spotted. I'd love to hear that. So, uh, so it sounds like next, next episode will be part two of the wall of time, which will be the positives from this series that we have found and discovered. Um, so thank you very much for having me on yeah no problem thank Uh, you for being here and thank you for being automatically required to be here next week yes (laughs) automatically success which means look at that he's already wormed his way in he's already the fourth host (laughs) (laughs) my master plan is starting Mm. to unfold there can be only one krebs oh (laughs) three episodes from now it is part of joshua krebs will be played by matthew krebs (laughs) you know so so what you're telling me is the third episode of this will be highlander uh oh we should have a rad dome krebs oh (gasps) Krebs v. Krebs. Uh-oh. The winner gets oh. the seat. The loser goes home crying. If we're going to go Highlander theme, though, Josh, I think you need to stop while you're ahead. However, oh. however, however, oh, we cannot finish this episode. I just realized there has to be a lightning round. Well, okay. Okay. Now, hang on. The lightning round occurred to me, but I thought we might save it until next episode since this is kind of a two-parter and we haven't hit okay. the end yet. Fair enough. So, but I'm glad it. that you remembered. And I was going to tell crawlers, crawlers, don't you worry. Lightning, lightning round is coming. I am not sparing my brother the lightning round. All right. <laughs> so with that said, folks, lightning round will be next episode. We'll come back at you with the positives we found in the Will of Time uh, series on Amazon. And we'll catch you next time. And dungeon crawlers, tell your story, whatever it may be. And whether you're a die-hard book original or a brand new fan to the series, always remember to be epic and don't suck. Remember, the Force will be with you always.